So You Think You Can Manage. Welcome back to another episode of So You Think You Can Manage podcast. Today we got the full crew. Today I'm with Biscuit and Shane. Guys, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. You know, I'm happy the Phil's uh, squeaked one out today. I've actually had a very long day, but in terms of how I'm doing with the Phillies, uh, I could be worse, I guess. I was a little frustrated last night, and for about eight and a half innings of a ball game today, I was pretty frustrated. But, uh, you know, I guess I'll take it. A series win. Yeah, absolutely. So the Phillies here, 32 and 31, finally back at 500. First time in it feels like a while that we've been able to do a podcast with the Phillies above 500 after a six and two week. Uh, this past week they closed out the two or the after the show they finished out two more games against the Brewers, completing the sweep this past weekend. They win the series against Arizona two two games to one, and then of course they finish out this Miami series as you just mentioned, Biscuit winning that one two games to one as well in this series. Another up and down week it seemed like for the Phillies in terms of. Yeah, blown out on Sunday, and then you mentioned the hiccups yesterday, which we'll get into. But first, I'd like to start with the, the recent ro- roster moves that we happened uh, in this past week. You had Scott Kingery sent back down to AAA, Christopher Sanchez sent back to AAA, and Mickey Moniak, definitely the big one there out of those two names, sent back to AAA as well. Jose Alvarado called back up, and Michael Kelly also called up, and then Yaro Monzo called up there for the Phillies as another infielder as that depth was kind of shortened. James Norwood designated for assignment and Gene Segura transferred to the 60 day IL opening up a 40 man roster spot there uh, for uh, Monzo out of AAA. So kind of a couple big things there, but of course let's jump into how the Phillies did. And I mean, the Marlins series is the big one. Obviously we know the struggles the Phillies have had. You're able to pull that one out. Shane, what's your first takeaways from, from this Marlins series? Again, obviously you had the big bounce back today, but I mean, what, what did you think about the Marlins series? So you, we could have we could have swept that series. We could have been swept, uh, you know. So to come away, you know, winning the series, taking two of three is is certainly a positive. Um, but to have to come from behind in three separate games, um, you know, for game two of that series to be lost the way that it were uh, was, I, I will say, I, I don't know that I've ever felt. Maybe, you know, not ever. I think this and that uh, that Dodgers series where you lose one game in each of those series and somehow that's what sticks with me. Um, you know, it's you, I'm just upset, man. Like, I, I, I hate the Marlins. Um, and it's it's frustrating to see just how much trouble this team this team has with them. Uh, I would say that in the positive. I think that six weeks ago, this is a series that we do get swept. And I do think that the resiliency under Topper so far has been, you know, can't be understated. Uh, you know, and I think that's a big reason we take two or three. Yeah, great. And for those who don't know what happened on Tuesday night that might have missed that game, Phillies jump out, or sorry, Phillies trail 4 nothing. Zach Eflin battles throughout the game. They climb back, score eight straight runs, take an 8-4 lead. Rob Thompson takes out Eflin, brings in Familia. He gives up three before Dominguez gives up another run to tie the game at eight. Hoskins sits a go-ahead home run in the ninth, or sorry, excuse me, in the bottom of the eighth before Knievel comes in and blows the game in the ninth for an 11-9 loss. There's a lot of different things that went into that loss. Obviously, we point to the bullpen. Obviously, Familia didn't look good once again. But once again, the defensive issues 
popped back up there in the ninth inning. You had an error by Alec Bohm. You had an error by JT Real Muto. And then it doesn't go down as an error, but I thought that was a ball that Castellano should have caught in right field. It's out of his reach, whether he took a bad route or just couldn't get get to it. That could be a discussion as well, but I thought he should have had it. But again, these defensive issues come up time and time. But then here in the swing around game, game three, you trail for, I think the home run was in the fourth inning. So you trail from the fourth inning on one, nothing. You waste a lot of different opportunities to score before it seems like right now, since Rob took over, there's been a different guy who steps up. It's a different hero each game, and today it was Garrett Stubbs in a three-run home run. Biscuit, what what do you think that does for the team there, having a different guy each night? And it's not always your quote-unquote star of the team. How about like what's that takeaway to, to clinch this series and get some momentum? Um, the big, the big thing with it is no one's necessarily an easy out. Now that obviously isn't always the case with the Phillies as, as we've seen today, they were literally shut out for, um, you know, the majority of the entire game and, uh, just came back with a, with a little life there in the, uh, there in the ninth. Um, but, but, it, but it's huge, you know, I think one thing you I've noticed with the Phillies this year is that they really do embrace that kind of. They really do embrace that kind of, you know, one person who really steps it up, you know, is the difference maker that night. You heard, um, I don't know if we talked, obviously I don't think we talked about it on the pod, but you heard about how um, after wins, they call someone out who should be celebrated, who helped out in the big win. Um, so, so it's clearly something that resonates well in the clubhouse. And look, Garrett Stubbs has been awesome for the Phillies. There have been a couple really fun moments so far. You know, his first home run, you know, his first major league home run happened earlier in the season. He's had a couple at-bats where even if he's not, you know, necessarily doing something sexy – just his personality, I think, is really exciting, and he brings a lot of fun, and I like his energy. And that that walk off today, talk about energy and electric. Seeing him slam yeah. the bat down, and you know, jumping up and down with his helmet off, seeing the hair flow, um, it it it, it bring it brings enjoyment that I you know a, a level of enjoyment to the team that I think was severely lacking two weeks ago. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Garrett Stubbs now hitting three forty two on the season. After a two for three days. So, again, as a backup catcher, just putting up phenomenal numbers. It's going to be big, especially when you got five games here in the next four days against Washington. He's obviously going to see time uh, in some of those games. So obviously, a doubleheader, you usually don't see a catcher go back to back. So, you know, at least play that game on Friday, at least one of those games on Friday. So, it's big to have a backup catcher like that. And that's something the team has lacked. And, and Biscuit, you just mentioned something. You, you can go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, they don't call Garrett Stubbs the best catcher in baseball, the BCIB for nothing. He's he's taking over that role, right? Well, we all we all know it's not the guy making 23 million. Not him, but uh, it's it's hey, it's it's big to have him and he's he's known for defense first. So the fact that he's able to put up 342 right now is pretty impressive in that in itself right there. But you mentioned in in your last uh statement that the energy of this team. And I think that's been the biggest thing over the last few weeks. And I, I obviously we all, I, obviously Girardi was doing a bad job and I came around to that, but even it doesn't seem like Thompson's obviously there's been situations where he's called different stuff, but overall I haven't thought his managing has been a huge difference in terms of like, he's still used familiar in the same situation. He's still using Knievel. The big thing I've noticed is definitely the energy in the team and the excitement that these guys are having going to play baseball. It looks like they're having fun playing baseball again. I don't know if you guys agree with that. Yeah, I, I, um, real fast. I, I think the, 
the biggest thing that I always thought a change in Joe Girardi from, you know, getting rid of him as manager would bring is just like, you know, a new type of vibe, a new laxness, so to speak, a new ease of tension, trying to try to diffuse such a high energy and high strung clubhouse. And um, I, I think, you know, Thompson's had a pretty hands off approach when it comes to that. He's letting the players kind of do their own thing, have their type, you know, their, their fun, have their celebrations. And I think that's better than really anything in regard to the in-game decision manage, managing. Um, And I thought he's done fine so far. Like there hasn't been anything. Like, and like you said, it, it hasn't been anything like, you know, a, a total difference from what we've seen, you know, previously with Girardi. But I think he's letting the game kind of play out in front of him. He's, you know, taking it night by night, making the smart decisions based off of that instead of managing like it's the first of April and there's still 162 every single night. Not that there's urgency, but he's making the smart decision in the moment because each moment he's looking to secure a win, not, you know, do some we'll see kind of stuff to see how things play out. And I think that's been huge. I, I think that's the biggest difference. Um, that I would say between the two regimes that I could see so far. And I think it's making a world of a difference with the guys in the clubhouse. Absolutely. Shane, is that something you agree with? Or have you seen a big difference there in the managerial styles? No, I, I haven't seen anything, you know, notably different at this point for the in-game management. Um, you know, I think the the biggest difference for me, and, and I've, I've been saying this since since his opening press conference, is, you know, he is someone that wants to, know his players you know and that to me is is so so valuable and not only just in today's baseball just in, in today's social climate in general to to be very aware uh, of what these players are feeling what they're thinking um you know mentally emotionally physically you know he seems to be very in touch with that um and it just it's amazing what happens when you can tell someone cares about you and values you which I don't think you could ever say that there was a definitive player uh, or moment that that Girardi demonstrated that. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing. So his in-game decision-making is, you know, right now very similar. Um, but these players are responding in a way that says there is clearly something different behind closed doors um, that is elevating them and making them believe in one another, making them believe in themselves uh, and believe in the decision when they happen i think that's the biggest thing is if you're going to make the same decision in game you better have your players believing differently than what they believed you know two and a half weeks ago um you know when Girardi was still at the helm so that's that's been the biggest thing hands down um and look a lot still left to be desired desired in some of these in-game decisions let's let's not kid ourselves here if Knievel gets the ball again you know in the ninth inning i'm going to jump off a fucking bridge um you know, it, it's it just it can't happen. Um, you know, so there are still things like using chameleon high leverage situations. I will chop off my own member and find it more pleasurable than watching that happening. Like there are things that can't keep going on. Um, and we'll see how not only Thompson responds, but the team responds, because if he keeps doing that and the bad results keep happening and you waste six RBIs from Maurice Hoskins, it's not going to matter how much he cares about you and, and values what you're feeling. They no longer trust you. So we'll see how this all all plays out. Um, but I would expect some changes in the near future. Yeah, Shane, you mentioned it, a couple words there. You mentioned the, the mentality of the team, their mental aspect. He needs to know how they're feeling and everything. And you talk about 
bouncing back and everything. Well, let's let's jump into the player's head a little bit. And the first point here I want to talk about is the amount of games they've blown late. And you, you see it. And you mentioned the, the, the Hoskins game last night or on Tuesday night. He had six RBIs. He goes four or five. He hits two home runs. He has the big home run in the eighth inning and take the lead. We saw Harper have the big home run in the top of the ninth against Atlanta just to see it go uh, see Atlanta walk off in the bottom half of the ninth. I saw this stat. Kyle Schwarber, seven of his 16 home runs have been go-ahead home runs, and the Phillies have only won three of those seven. As a player, how are you bouncing back each time when you, when like those stats are kind of alarming? Those those are just small examples too. That's not even to talk about the whole season. And I saw a stat: the Phillies lead the MLB with 138 runs given up in the eighth inning or later. I forget if it's one of you guys that sent it in the group chat or maybe it's a different text I had. But 138 runs, uh, or or it was 138 runs in the eighth inning or later since 2020, which is an MLB lead. The next closest was the Cincinnati Reds at 120. So I mean, these numbers are alarming. But as a player, how do you continue to bounce back after that, pulling off these comebacks when a lot of these times they get blown in the next inning anyway? Uh, Biscuit, we can start with you on that. You, you know, you you just try to to continue on. Look, you're playing a game. You you play to win a baseball game. You just keep up that energy, keep up that drive. I'm sure it has to be deflating in some type of, you know, in some regard to the players. Like, I can't imagine being Reese Hoskins literally carrying the entire team on your back for an entire game with probably the biggest, uh, I don't know if he's ever even had a bigger game than the one he's had last night, probably the biggest game of his career. Like, how do you not, you know, seeing after, after Jury's Familia, who fucking sucks, by the way, comes in and gives up three runs to make it a close game. How do you feel when Corey Knebel, who also really sucks right now, comes in, can't even record a single out, loads the bases? Um, how do you feel when JT Ramuto, and you know I had to bring him up. I know you guys, you know, <laughs> don't feel this way just yet, but you will. You will because JT Ramuto is a fraud right now. He is playing like horse shit, and I'm sorry. Like, there's a huge difference between underperforming and playing like slop. And he is playing right now like he doesn't even give a shit out there. He does not look like he is engaged. And I, I know it's hard for struggling players when you're down bad. It's tough to really pull that, you know, all together and not show your frustrations. But for God's sakes, man, get with it. Um, you, you need, you need to be better. You're, you're supposed to be better. Like, like you literally are paid to be the best catcher in baseball. We need a little bit more. So it's got to be deflating when, when key guys and all those guys, you know, don't come cheap. Corey Knebel and Yuri's familiar are two of the highest paid relievers in our bullpen. I'm pretty sure they are the highest paid relievers. Um, you know, JT being the highest paid catcher in baseball, you need more from these guys. So, you know, while, while at the end of the day, look, you play to win, you always go back out there and grind. That's that's what professionals do. But I don't know how you can't sit there and just throw your hands up when you see this bullshit night in and night out. No, 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 I hear you, and that, that's just us getting mad. I, so I can't imagine like, – that, that's passion right there from a fan. So who, who can't even imagine how much the players are feeling the same way. And, Shane, while we talk about deflating, I'll turn it – while we stay on that topic, we talk about the team going on a nine-game win streak. You win 11 of 13, and you look up and you see the Braves have gained ground on, on – or have, set, have caused more separation from second to third place there. Yes, you gain some ground on the Mets. 
But how deflating is that, too, to see, oh, the team above us has actually picked up two games on us while we won 11 of our 13 games? Um, I think that's probably more frustrating for the fans than it is for the players. Um, you know, I, I I do believe that, you know, while no one is ignorant to the standings and, and where we may fall within the division at any point throughout the season, um, it's not unlike you and I have spoken about, Andrew. You know, I think that, you know, this is a control which you can control period of the season and you don't really start scoreboard watching until after that or right around the trade deadline where you start to realize what kind of club are we going to be in right now how are we going to finish this season and you know what other hurdles do we have to hope for um you know and, and i think that i think right now there is no deflating feeling within this within this team with the exception of maybe jt um I, i'm talking specifically with the players right now i i think you know to kind of go along with Fiskett's answer to that previous question and how it all kind of coincides with this, uh, you know, deflating feeling or not uh, with what the Braves are doing right now. Um, I think that as long as you trust whomever is making the decisions, I think that you're in a good place. I think that, and this is where I continue to say, this is so critical to see how Thompson responds to Knebel's failures, to Familia's failures, to JT's really, really rough season so far. You know, what is he going to do in the moment that is going to continue to instill faith? Uh, and that's the biggest thing, because those decisions help you sit there and control your own destiny, and that is what they have to be worried about right now. They were a bad baseball team for much of this season with Girardi. They are not a bad baseball team right now. So they have to control the things that they can control to keep them at a competitive level as they've been right now. Um, you know, in terms of what the Braves are doing, um, I'm, again, completely certain that no one in there is, you know, naive to what to what has happened, how good that they have played, and to see themselves a further distance uh, from, from the Braves in second place right now. Um, but I don't believe that that is something that they're going home and losing sleep over. I think right now it's a thing where it's like, thank God we're winning baseball games again. We're having fun. The fans are coming back out. Media doesn't hate us. Like, that's probably the primary goal. Yeah, that's, I, that's a great way to look at it, and I, I like to hear that. And, no, you mentioned the fans are starting to come back out, and that's actually really good to see, too. It is, and that's why it's so big to win this Marlins series, too, is to keep that the fan base kind of buying in. If it, I mean, think about it. If you would end up losing today's game – you might start yeah. losing those fans again. So I would have been out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that's, so. Yeah, because that's that that was a big difference now to previous years. Is that's a series they probably would have went out and lost, especially with the way that today's game was going up until that ninth inning. So I mean that that was huge to see to keep this fan base on it and everything and and keep going forward and hopefully you're able to continue that on the road here and then come back home and, and still get that type of stuff and. While we're talk, we keep talking about Thompson and everything with the way he's controlling, managing the team and everything. And as fans, we're still trying to pick up kind of where he's at, talking to the media and everything, what we can believe, what we can't still yet. He hints at it as a bullpen change Tuesday, and then today he says we will be going by closer by committee. It is going to be kind of a matchup situation, and that that's kind of big. But my thing is, again, until we see that safe situation, is he just saying that for the media, or is he actually going to say that? And Shane, like you said, are we, are we going to see the ball back in Knievel's hands here uh, in the next safe situation uh, going forward? So that's going to be something to pay attention to this upcoming week as well. But the first bullpen thing, I mean, we mentioned familiar multiple times already tonight. Let's start with him. 
And Shane, I'll start with you. Obviously, we're all sitting here saying we're ready to get rid of him. We're ready to get rid of him. But from a management standpoint, Dave Nebraska obviously went in, gave him the money. You saw the team send Jose Alvarado down to AAA, work on a few things for a week, and then call him back up. Do you see that as a possible option with Familia, whether you think it's going to work or not? But do you think that that's something the team's going to consider, or do you think it's going to ride him, ride him out right now, and then then DFA him if at that point? I do. What I think will happen is I think they're just going to ride this out. What I believe needs to happen is this is a player that needs to be DFA'd yesterday. He's a bad dude for one, like just not a good human being, not someone you want on your roster. Um, you know, and two, he's never been a guy who has consistently been able to be relied upon in innings the way that we've paid him to be. Like, he's just not that dude. Like, if, if he's your middle reliever making $5 million a year, I don't think anyone gives a shit. But the fact that we pay him in, in a way that says, hey, I need you to be performing in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings or the highest of leverage middle innings as they occur, like, he's just not good enough, and he never has been. Uh, and this is a guy that, again, I, I just – I do not believe he brings an ounce of value to this roster and to this clubhouse. Could he bring it to another one? Maybe. I don't know. But it should not be in Philadelphia. Uh, the guy is horrendous, and I think it was a, a bad mistake to to have brought him in here like this. No, I agree with that. I think that's the best option. Again, it is, it's not like he's a great clubhouse locker room guy either, picking up the team spirits or something like that. So I'm with you 100%. I just think that's interesting. They tried that with Alvarado, sending him down to AAA, and you have another situation here. So I, I think that is a option if it's part of his contract uh, and allows him to do that. I think they might try to do that or, or, or maybe pull the injury card where he goes on the 15-day IL and you try to work something out that way. So it's going to be interesting to see for me what how they continue to um, ride ride his season, and we'll see what happens what this next think, week. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, you're good. You're good. Just going along that same bell with the Alvarado thing. Like this is a guy who has notoriously had horrendous command. Like you, you just he has enough stuff that he can make up for it at times. But the thing is, like with with Alvarado, is like the guy literally he never knows what the fuck he's got. He just throws so damn hard, and like. Sometimes he walks five guys. Sometimes he strikes five guys out in a row. Like, he doesn't know. There's no rhyme or reason. I don't really know what their purpose was to send him down. There is nothing that man is going to do that is going to fix him. I just think that he is a very high-risk, high-reward type of guy. I think it was more... I think it was more... They... Today's game, they value the, the mental aspect and the confidence so much. I honestly think it was just kind of that. I mean, they know what they're getting at him at this point. So I think it was go take advantage of some, tri- some AAA hitters, recognize you can get these guys out again, gain some confidence back, and then call. And here's my thing, too. I don't even know how ready they were to call him back up, honestly, because you had you had a couple different situations. I mean, Norwood was just that bad, so you designated him for assignment. You had a couple injuries elsewhere that allowed you to call him up and you need another roster spot you have the five games against washington so you're going to need the extra arm so i think it was kind of a mix of that is why he came back up almost more than his performance down there is you kind of need him at this point just an extra arm in there but i think that in the initial send down to triple i think it was more of a confidence factor than actually working on anything because like you mentioned you know what you're getting at him at this point yeah i just i you know again i don't 
I didn't see the value of it then. I don't see the value of it now. And I don't see the value in applying that same principle that's been tried on Alvarado to a guy like Familia. Um, I also think it takes like a really special individual to be, to have the years of service that these guys have to go back down to the minor leagues and to come back up and to, to actually absorb what it is that they're intending for you to absorb, to then come back up and apply it. Like I, I, it brings to question like a guy like Brett Myers, you know, Brett Myers, I'm pretty sure it was the world series year uh, that had happened. Got sent back, back down after having, I don't know, I think it's five years of service at the time, something like that. And it's like, that's got to take a lot to go back down and to have the mentality to say, yes, I'm here to learn. I'm here to get better. And I just don't, neither of those dudes, meaning Alvarado or, uh, or Familia, strike me as people that are going to go down willingly to sit there and absorb what the minor leagues has to offer them and what that opportunity has to offer them. And then to come up and be able to you know, make that applicable at the major league level and, and to sustain some more success in their career. They just don't seem like guys that, that it's even fucking worth it. No, I agree with you. And that's, you meant, I mean, you hit around the nose there with, it takes a special individual and I forget his name, but I remember you put in the, our, our group chat, that Yankees player that they did that with, uh, I think it was last week or two weeks ago. And the moment they did that, he told, uh, Told the Yankees he wants to be traded, and then you saw that last year in go Chicago. Yep, yep. And then you saw that last year in Chicago as well with the Omakata when they. Or it might have been two years ago at this point, but when Tony Larusa sent him down to Triple A, said we just want you to work on your swing in, in a little bit, and he wanted out of Chicago for a while. Or no, he even considered retiring because he didn't want to go down to Triple A. But then he ended yeah. up working his way back in. So I mean, like you said, it does. It takes a special individual and, and a very willing learner to kind of okay yeah i will go down here try to work on a few things and then come back up so it does create a lot of different things and and can change stuff the way they feel in the clubhouse as well but uh, moving on from that point as i mentioned thompson mentioned he wants to go to a different closer so biscuit i'll start with you who is that like are you going strictly matchups i know we've talked about before dominguez has looked good hand has looked good do you try a brogdon do you go strictly matchups or what would you do if you're the manager there for that closer role so how 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 girardi and thompson have used knebel before 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 was blown up they viewed him as being the best reliever in the pen and usually that meant he was going to get Games tied in the ninth or, or saves up in the ninth to shut the door. So if that's how they're going, and if they're still going to work by that logic and use the best pitcher that they view as the best at this time now by committee, I guess, that if it's not Sir Anthony Dominguez, you're smoking some filthy fucking crack, man, because um, <laughs> it needs to be him. It needs to be him. He's – and it's – oh, it's – how fucking Phillies is it of us that the one guy who's legit in our bullpen is the guy you do want to be the most con- cautious with because he's just coming back from a fucking injury where he pitched one inning last year. Like, that's such our luck because he's so talented and he's been such a joy to watch. Um, but look, you know, beggars can't be choosers. You gotta If you got to ride him, you got to ride him and you got to use him and, and it's got to be him. Look, Brad Hand... Um, you know, n- numbers 
I think, tell a different story than, than what I'm going to say here. But I don't think he's been that good, especially when he's dealing with inherited runners, when he's brought into games to try to close, you know, to, to, you know, keep it tight. Or if there's runners on, he really hasn't been that good. Um, so I, I'm hesitant to go directly to him. Corey, um, or excuse me, Connor Brogdon, I, I, I think has been awesome. I think it's been really good. I'd like to see him while they're still, you know, let, letting Knebel get his footing again. I'd like to see him take over the Sir Anthony role that Sir Anthony's been in kind of as the firearm leading um, high relief guy to um, get it and get in and uh, stop, stop beginnings. Um, because I think he could, his stuff plays up there as well. Um, but you know, it, it has to be Dominguez. It just has to be. Shane. Yeah, I agree, man. And I think the hardest thing about all of this is, and I'll, I'll, I probably won't make like a ton of friends with this statement, but um, I still very much so. I look at Sir Anthony and I say this guy is like an elite setup man or high leverage guy, but a very middle of the road closer. I like he to me is our new Hector Neris. He is the most valuable piece in our pen. We're going to use him in situations that he's probably not best for. He just unfortunately happens to be the best option or arm in our pen. And I, I worry so much about what that does to a player. You know, we saw what it did to Maris when he was the closer. You know, we saw some of the struggles there, uh, you know, that he did have. Um, you know, and, and that's not to say that Maris wasn't, I, I believe he was a decent closer for us. I really do. But I believe his best role was utilized as a seventh or eighth inning setup guy. And I think that's very much so the same for Sir Anthony. Um, you know, and that's what's tough is I think that we're out of necessity. He's going to become the closer. Um, and then out of necessity, just like you said, Biscuit, we're going to be probably pushing him a little bit more than what we intended to coming off of, you know, almost two full calendar years of, of no baseball. Um, and that's terrifying. You know, what happens when that arm is gone? And now you don't have a guy that, is legitimately your most valuable arm in the pen, whether it be in a closer's role or you know, the high leverage fireman type of guy. Um, and that's really, really frustrating. So, you know, the the need to 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 find another arm somewhere, whether it be Connor Brogdon steps up and, and continues to perform, you know, relatively similar to how he is right now. You know, Brad Hand starts being able to pitch because you're, you're right on with that biscuit. You know, being able to pitch with inherited runners as smoothly as he does with the clean innings and clean starts uh, to an inning. You know, it's maybe a, a guy comes up and gets an opportunity uh, being called up from the minors. And it's a pleasant surprise, not unlike Sir Anthony was three years ago for us. Um, you know, we need those types of things. We need we need legitimate free agent acquisitions here uh, or not free agents, uh, trade deadline acquisitions to, to come in here and make an impact on this bullpen. Because right now this offense is showing. It can do what you pay them to do. The starting pitching, in my opinion, while possibly the least sexy deep rotation I've ever seen in my life, these guys can these guys can show. Um, they're going to come out there and they're going to keep you in more games than than not. And they're going to, at this point, looking like they're going to pitch deep into those games as well. It's just the bullpen. And if you lose because again you fucked up with the bullpen, fire everybody. So my my follow up question to that is, if 
you don't trust Hand coming in with inherited runners and everything. And obviously, we know what Corey Knievel has done this season. He struggled at times, obviously. And Dominguez has succeeded kind of in that high leverage role with, with how fast he can throw and stuff. Is that would you rather Hand be the closer then though because he's going to come in with a fresh inning? Because if you move Dominguez to that quote unquote closer role. You're going to have to use hand with inherited runners. You're going to have to use a guy like Corey who's struggled with those uh, with the runners on base, obviously. So if you're going to move Dominguez in that role, when you're in the seventh or eighth inning, you're going to lose that high leverage spot for Dominguez and put a guy who might be struggling there rather than giving hand a clean ninth inning. The thing, I just don't think hand stuff plays up like it. It obviously doesn't play up like it used to when he was one of the best relievers in baseball, but I just don't think it plays up for that, for that big, you know, ninth inning shut him down slam the door close it out end it you know end it without a thought um i i think they need someone there i i i just think they need someone with a pedigree there that really does just have not not just deceitful stuff but overpowering stuff like sir anthony does have um to 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 really lock that position down and i i i don't know shane i might disagree with you i think um sir anthony's stuff um could could really play up as a closer i think he's got the stuff can well and i but i think i think it could be injured i think it could be prolonged like I, i i do think this is someone who may be Maybe not this season, but if this is a role we see him in throughout the future, this could be our closer. This could be a long answered, you know, issue that we've had so. with our team that 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 could be solved. Um, I, I do think Sir Anthony could be that guy, you know. And it's not like Hector Nares. I, to go back with Hector Nares, I I think um, I think the biggest issue with Hector. Really, in general, it doesn't matter if he was in, you know, the end of games in the closing role or as a setup man. You could just tell when his command was off because you would just so easily see the splitter out of the hand and be able to identify it, especially when it wasn't in the zone. Um, I, I just think Sir, Sir Anthony's stuff plays up a little bit more. I think he has a little bit more of a crisp fastball with a little bit more on it, obviously, velocity-wise. And the sliders wipe out. Um, so I don't know, man. I I'm excited to see what he could do there because I think this could be a long, long, you know, issue that's been that's been you know this team that's been plaguing this team that uh could be solved i hope you're right man um uh, you know, i hope I, i'm right too yeah dude I, I <laughs> we all do um you know for me it's it's more you know it's more i i just how often do we see and maybe it's more often than i'm thinking i'm just blinded right now and it's a very real possibility but you know i i sit there and i think like man like I feel like a lot of the elite closers don't just like wake up as closers. And we're basically just asking Sir Anthony with like less than a hundred innings pitched in his MLB career to wake up and be a, a dominant closer. I just feel like it's more of like a, Hey, you've really proven yourself in like the middle innings and you've really proven yourself. Like, I feel like it's a more gradual type of thing, uh, you know, as opposed to like, we believe that we can trust you in the hardest city in sports to go out there alone on an island on that mound and shut this shit down i just worry that you just mess people up mentally but i I don't know no absolutely i think that goes i mean i was not the same thing but goes back to when you get sent down to triple a it takes a lot mentally and takes a, a special person to be able to hold on and get that um get that kind of will to be the closer take on that adversity and take on the adrenaline of 
holding on to a one-run lead, especially in, in big games. When you get to September, when you're going to be fighting possibly for a division, or if you make the playoffs in a division game, in a one-run game, you gotta you got to take that down. It takes it takes a special player mentally to kind of fight through that battle and uh, hold the door down there and, and get your team that win. So that's what I, it's going to come down the biggest for Dominguez. As, I mean, you mentioned he has the stuff, but is – it, uh, he has the stuff in terms of pitches, but is he going to be able to handle that mentally and everything and, and take that um, to the next level for him to, to be that next next key piece here? And I, I don't want to say it's exactly that, but that's kind of what the Reds did with Aroldis Chapman there is they had the high, and I know he doesn't throw as fast, but he had the high-throwing high pitcher, and then he had the slider kind of to, to uh, work off of there. So I think that's kind of where the Phillies are going to try to really push him here is once he kind of gets back that full full strength as a reliever is kind of hope for that that guy to almost wake up and be that closer but i got two my next thing is injury possibilities here and i'll, I'll give each of you one i'll start with you shane with zach eflin he, he throws 80 pitches yesterday he battles through his start after struggling the first inning throws those very there's four very good innings after that they pull him after the 80 pitches and we were kind of all wondering, like, why was he pulled? Because to this point, Thompson has been stretching guys out. You saw Nola go over 100 and, and the day before that. So, especially with the limited bullpen, as we talked about. And it comes out after the game that he had knee soreness, which he had surgery on the knee in the offseason. So, where are you at on this? Obviously, they, they're trying to play it down, but we've seen the Phillies especially do that in the past. He is still scheduled to make his Sunday start. And I know we always joked around when Girardi said, it's too early in the season still that, but like, where are you at with this? Is that something, okay, let's have him miss a start or are you like, okay, we need every game we can get out there and pitch Sunday with obviously the recognition of maybe hurting that knee even more. Um, so as someone who has just an obliterated left knee, um, one thing I can say with certainty is that those extremely humid days, the amount of swelling that occurs just by walking uh, is far greater than what it would be on a day that, you know, maybe it's just drier out, like you're not walking through water. Um, so I would say that if there is truth that they're not overly concerned and they he's still scheduled to make his, his next start, I would say that they were probably exercising some caution in that game, knowing that, hey, I did just have, I mean, the guys had knee problems his whole fucking life at this point. Um, you know, I don't expect them to ever go away. So I don't know, you know, how much I, I believe that, you know, this isn't something he's going to just be dealing with his, the rest of his career. Um, but I do know that, like, as someone who who is some, some really not great knees, um, those are the hardest days to play. You know, it, it feels like, it feels a little bit like you're, your kneecap is floating because there's got so much fluid there. Um, you know, every time you every time you land, if it's your front knee, um, you know, it, it's just pain shooting straight up. Uh, you know, basically just through your groin. If it's your push off leg, like you just don't trust it as much. Um, and it's it's just it's a very uncomfortable thing to deal with. But you may be able to go in, get some skin, get some ice, and you know, walk out of the clubhouse that night feeling 100. percent um, it's just about managing that in game. So um, if it was just that, throw him out there, you know, for his next start and just see what happens. Um, and I'm sure he's fine. Um, but if it's not just that, you know, I would have legitimate concern about him and being able to count on him 
uh, going forward. And and that one, that one terrifies me, like that side of it, because Philadelphia and its injury history and our sports teams of the, yeah, he's only going to miss a game or two. It's like, well, now this guy's career is done. Um, so I do worry. So we'll, we'll see. This guess are you, Henry's? Well, yeah, I, I think um, just to chime in here, I think Eflin, Eflin specifically aside, the Phillies need another starting pitcher, in my opinion, especially come the trade deadline. Because while I think uh, I, I think Ranger Suarez need, needs to be moved back to the bullpen or they need to figure out some type of new role for him, because I just don't think he's cutting as a starter anymore. His stuff just isn't playing up like it did last season. And I think you're really running out of time before you see the writing on the wall and understand that we're not going to get that guy or any semblance of him at all this season. Um, so, so injury, injury aside, I, I think you need to keep that in the back of your mind that while you've gotten a good amount out of Wheeler, Nola, Kyle Gibson, Zach Eflin so far, um, these things are going to keep happening, keep popping up. There's always going to, whether they're serious or nagging injuries, there's always going to be some reason guys are going to have to miss a start or go down for a week or two or something like that. Um, so, so it's something to really keep thinking about now through the end of July. Um, up to the deadline is uh, getting getting another starting pitcher to ride with these guys um, because they're going to need it. No, I agree with you. I mean, you know, obviously we had the Wheeler and Ranger Torres had the short and spring. So, I mean, obviously they seem fine now, but how that affect them as the season goes forward? I mean, you mentioned Eflin up and down in terms of injury history. So that would be an interesting spot that the deadline you had a starter like that. And I think there you look maybe to move Ranger back to the bullpen. I think that's, that's probably his best spot there, and give you an extra arm out there if they were to do that. So that that I don't disagree with you in terms of adding mm-hmm. that uh, spot there for the starting pitching. The the injury I'll, I'll start with you here, Biscuit, is the closer, or the former closer in Corey Knebel. Obviously, on Saturday he got up to to throw for a little bit. At the time, I think it was a one run game before they extended to four, and he felt arms arm slash shoulder soreness. They shut him down. He doesn't pitch for three days, and you see the struggles yesterday. Do you think that it is a serious thing? I mean, do you think they try to pull the injury thing here? They sent him to the IL. Do you think, I mean, he's a guy that also has a ton of injury history there in his career. Uh, I think we talked about it last week's podcast as well. And he has been used a lot more as we talked about last week. I think he's already thrown more innings this year than he's thrown since 2018. The last time he threw this many innings. So maybe that is already taking a toll on him, but how, how cautious do you have to be with this injury too? I mean, I, I laugh because me, me and my, me and a coworker who, uh, who, who listens to the podcast, by the way. Hi, Christian. Shout out for you. Um, my coworker and I were talking about it this morning, and he, he made a joke and was like, like, because I, I said to him, I'm like, well, do you think he's injured? And my coworker was like, he better be, or I'm embarrassed for him because he's just been <laughs> so off. So yeah, he, he looks like he's got something going on. He he's clearly not, you know, in the zone. You could see the focus isn't there. You could see he's just really working to just even try to get it close to the zone, and he's still coming up short. So something's definitely going on, whether it's a severe injury or or something that might just be nagging. Um, what that leads to is is um, 
you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how it'll progress or how things will move forward with it. But you have to have those concerns for the reason you mentioned. The guy's hardly pitched the last couple of years. And, you know, granted, while he's been able to pitch, he's been good. But the problem is he hasn't been able to pitch all that much. So you, you have to worry. You have to sit here and worry. Is his workload going to continue to be affected? Because he is putting on more, more and more innings now. And that's scary because we still have plenty of season left. We still have more more than half of a season to go here. Um, so whether it's something smaller or, or something larger go behind the scenes, something's clearly wrong. Um, and just like I said with starting pitching, you know, uh, pitching is going to have to be the focus of this trade deadline because you need a starter and you need a high leverage guy, whether that's someone – to, um, you know, since you only have Brad Hand as the only lefty in the pen right now, is that another high ever, high leverage lefty reliever? Is it, you know, a back end closer? I don't know who that, you know, person really is that they're going to target right now. But um, it, it's going to be another necessity, and it's just another reason for concern right now. No, without question. And there, there's going to be plenty of relievers available at the deadline. It's a matter of, are you going to be willing to, one, give up what it takes to get one of those? And two, are we going to have enough? Um, obviously, we've talked about our farm system in the past. Are you going to have enough to get one of those guys? And are, are you going to be willing to part with some of those? So it's going to be an all interesting thing here uh, in the next month or so as we approach that trade deadline, as we keep going closer to that. I think before we, we get into the final stuff with a quick preview of next week, whose hot stretch and Kyle Schwarber and Reese Hoskins here has been the most fun to watch? And who's do you think last like for the season? Obviously, we've seen Reese go up and down. Uh, throughout the, his career in terms of hot stretches, carrying the team on the back. But who's hot stretches here to stay and who's has been most exciting? And I'll leave this one up to both of you. Shane, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I think, you know, if you're a betting person, you bet on Kyle Schwarber to have some oh! consistency. Uh, <laughs> um, that being said, when Reese gets hot, I don't know that there is a more fun player that I can remember in Philly's pinstripes with power since Ryan Howard. Like, it's like Bryce Harper does everything, you know, in the box. And he's an incredibly, just an unbelievable player, obviously, MVP. Um, but there is something about these, like, six-week Reese Hoskins stretches when they happen, man, that are just like, it's, he's like on another planet. Um, and it is so much fun, but you, you just count your days, man, because right around the corner, it's going to be six weeks of, you know, he may go 42 straight at bats without a fucking hit. Um, you know, and you just got to you got to take the good with the bad with that. You hope that he finds a way to level himself off on those bad times. But if you're a betting man, Kyle Schwarber is going to last longer. Uh, and, and Reese Hoskins is going to be more exciting in the short term. Now, the, the week he's had real quick, basically before you go. 14 of 28 in his last seven games. He's at 500 with four home runs and nine RBIs. That's Reese Hoskins. And they, they I think it was last night they showed he's got the most hits in a five-game stretch in his career uh, in this stretch. So and it's been incredible. I feel like he's he's raised his average to 253, which obviously isn't great, but considering it was 212, it feels like a week ago. That's just incredible how high he, he's raised. And uh, But, Biscuit, go ahead with uh, your answer. So um, I'm in love with Kyle Schwarber. <laughs> I, I genuinely 
love the man and i'm so happy he's finally producing because i can't tell you how fucking annoyed i got seeing the slander on twitter oh but his batting average oh but his ops is 722 bro just you wait kyle schwerber will unleash his fucking power and, and oh god i just you know how i am about lefty sluggers I could just sit there and watch them all day. Harper, I love it. Freddie Freeman, I loved it. Soto, I loved it. Kyle Schwarber, I fucking love it, man. That man hits a majestic home run. Um, in, in terms of like who, when it comes to him and Hoskins, I don't know who's going to be, you know, you know, on their hot streak longer. You know how how it's going to play out, how streaky they're going to continue to be or get throughout the rest of the se- uh, season. But um, let me tell you, man, Schwarber. Setting the tone at the top of the lineup, um, being, you know, the big clubhouse guy, bringing a lot of energy to the clubhouse, you know, bringing, uh, I think, that leadership role that he brings. Um, what an asset it's been so far, in my opinion. You you hear about it. You're hearing the stories in the clubhouse. You're hearing it's paying dividends. Now that he's not being, you know, you know dilly-dally throughout the lineup in the cleanup spot, in the in the five-hole, in the seventh spot, in the leadoff spot. He's sticking to the leadoff spot now, and the results are paying off. Um, I'm going to put my eggs in Kyle Schwarber's basket. I fucking love that, man. No, and his biggest thing, I feel like, in his hot stretch is his approach against left-handed pitching. So yes. I feel like in, in the beginning of the season, he looked like so lost. He didn't look like he knew how to even come close to it. And now all of a sudden he's working full counts against well, him. He's fighting pitches off. And now it's been great there. Well, it's almost – it felt like at the beginning of the season everything was like – you know, not, not even not even hard contact, soft contact to the right side of the yep. infield, always to the second baseman or first baseman. A lot of rollover double plays it, it, he, and a lot of swinging at pitches outside of the zone. He wasn't staying within the zone. And now it's a much more cleaner approach. And the results are paying dividends against lefties, too, because especially early on, it felt like later in games, teams would just bring in lefties and that would be the end of it. Um, and it would just be it would just be, you know, too, too easy to, to end end any type of momentum because Schwarber was just so bad against them. But the results are different now. And, and you're seeing the approach is a much more crisp approach, which is leading to these results. And I don't know, dude, it is something about the summertime that man sees it's summer yep. and he's like, I want to go hit dingers. And I love that. <laughs> And it's only going to improve, too, is that the summer days get hotter and he gets to play more games. But his batting average, guys, he only hits 237. It doesn't matter that he hits fucking tanks. Doesn't matter that that he's leading the league at home runs. I was about to say that, yeah. (laughs) No. But um, he's a a good guy to watch. And what was it? You predicted what? 60 home runs? 60 home (laughs) runs. We're we're probably not going to get there, but uh, we might touch 40. And when was the last time we've seen a player in the on a Phillies uniform hit 40 home runs? Oh God, I was gonna, It's got to be Howard. Yeah, I was, it's I, be Howard. Howard. But, yeah, um, it has it has to be Howard. I don't know who else. I mean, have you who have been our slugger since 2011? I mean, Darren Ruff. I, I was gonna say yeah. I, I don't think. I think yeah. I, I don't think anyone. Darren Ruff had 42 in in Double A. He did, yeah. <laughs> Too bad that doesn't count, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, go, going into the final segment here, this upcoming week, 
You finish out an eight-consecutive game stretch against your NL East division opponents here. Um, you obviously had the three against Miami. Now you get five against Washington, including two or two on Friday for a doubleheader. Starting tomorrow, Thursday, opens it, and then you end it Sunday. You get an off day Monday, and then you get your revenge series against the Texas Rangers down in Texas. Guys, what, what are you expecting here? What are you looking for uh, in this seven-game stretch, another seven-game week for the Phillies, especially the division games? What are you looking for? I think you need to fucking rake against the Nationals, man. Like, I, I don't – obviously, I don't think they're going to do this. But you have to try to think of taking five from these guys. That's the quickest way, the the easiest way to not only keep building off of your men, momentum, but to get back into this playoff picture, you need to really take advantage here. All the other opponents in the National League, the Mets, the Braves specifically, have cleaned up on the Nationals so far. The Phillies have to follow suit. And you you really, like like I said, you need to think five-game sweep. Like, I'm, I'm going to be honest, that's what they you – know, they got to go balls to the wall. But you need to take at least four or five here. Absolutely. And then the Rangers, I, I mean, to, to have that series at home that you did back in, uh, back in early May – um, you need to you need to go up there and take care of business too in Texas. That's why I wish we could get back because that series at home. Yeah, I feel like this team would play that so much different than they did back back in early May there. So, you know, I, I'm I'm with you. I, you want you obviously want five, but four is more realistic there. But Shane, what about For sure. you? Sure. Yeah, look, um, I, you have to beat the teams that you that you're supposed to beat. Um, and I, you said that you think five is unrealistic and I know it's tough to sit there and say, Hey, like you should go in there and get a five game sweep against the, anybody who's still a professional team. Um, but fuck that. Like we've shown that we can win baseball games at this point. We've shown some resilient comebacks. Like I genuinely never feel like we're out of a baseball game. Um, yeah, I, I do think you need to go out there and take five. Um, you know, and if you take four out of five there, then you better sweep the next series. Like. You could just like I'm I'm sure that they're not paying attention to it, just like I'm not necessarily paying attention to it. But I know the Braves keep winning. I know the Mets are the Mets. Like you got to beat these bad teams, um, and you got to beat them bad. So yeah, I, I'm I'm with you, Biscuit. Uh, you you got to think five. Braves are up three to one in the uh, in the uh, bottom of the uh, six. So, Against Washington, yeah, they're, they're, they're trying to they're trying to finish that sweep with them. I was going to say, they'll they'll get their 14th win in a row tonight. (laughs) At least the Mets are down 10-1. Really? They had Milwaukee. Oh, that's nice. Corbin Burns is pitching, so I'd expect Milwaukee to be able to hold on to that nine-run lead. But I could be wrong. (laughs) And we're done with Milwaukee, right? Did we play them at home? I think we're done. Because we we already played them at home. Yeah? No, if we play them at home, I can't remember. But yeah, if we play them at home, we're definitely done with them. Thank God, they're another team I fucking hate. <laughs> I hate those Ryan Braun days, that's for sure. Oh, God. Everybody did. God, he he was a, a character. Speaking about a character. <laughs> Dude, but, just couldn't stop hitting home runs in Citizens Bank Park. No, just like Miguel Rojas. When are we not going to pitch to him? <laughs> God. And that's the other thing. Not that, I know we're trying to wrap up here, but God, doesn't it hate that a bunch of no-name scrubs just do us in with the Marlins every fucking yep. time? Like, <laughs> like, like, I'm sorry. Um, um, what's his name? Jesus Aguilar. Not a yes. good baseball <laughs> player. Uh, um, 
Why am I why am I forgetting all their names? Miguel Rojas, not a good baseball player. Who the fuck is John Birdie? Even Jazz Chisholm's right. not that good. <laughs> like he's just a character. That's what he is. <laughs> that the, the all-time worst one was Brian McCann. We're on this topic oh, last one. Oh my god! It, it didn't matter what part of the game it was or whatnot. He he'd be the one you knew when he was up if, in, in late situation. Yeah. It was it was bad news. <laughs> Yeah, that that would have been like the Barry Bonds treatment for me. Like, I, I'd rather walk in the tying run with him at the plate and just try our hand to get the next dive and pitch to him. No, I absolutely agree with that. He and the one I'll never forget is he always, whatever reason, he had Cole Hamels' number. Like for like that was the worst man. I I don't know why I just remember McCann just crushing Hamels. I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> Well, unless you guys have anything else, I think that that's going to wrap up this show. Uh, another episode of So You Think You Can Manage podcast. Another great show here with you guys. Thanks for listening to another episode here with So You Think You Can Manage. Check it out again, and we'll look forward to listening or seeing you guys next week.